Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Super Saturday, the one and all. Welcome into the Azuni Tequila Studios from LB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you once again, and we do have a tremendous show for you as our friend Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be talking about some of the teams that are heating up, a pitcher that he's looking for to have a huge run the rest of the season, and oh, by the way, he is one that was on the mound yesterday, so there's a little bit of a tease for you. And in the final segment, I do give you a side in total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, I did get a Twitter question to the Twitter mailbag. As always, feel free to fire those in at GDNRSCORD1. Please do not send them via direct message because my direct message inbox, well, it has been burnt to the ground and it will never be seen again. So always tweet that into the timeline, but let's get into it. So you have questions and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Joey's Bets, who's on Twitter at Joey's Bets one as at June and underscore one top three and worst three bullpens right now. Now, this is something that I wish I could give you a cut and dry answer on, but this is something where it varies by the situation because game by game, it feels like these bullpens vary. Now, the Indians have the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, but there have been some in situations like earlier in the year against the Atlanta Braves where they failed you. It all depends on where this team is pitching as well because sometimes you have bullpens 
they have a lot of guys that they give up fly balls. So they're obviously going to have a little bit more success in a park like San Francisco rather than if they're playing in a place like Wrigley Field and the wind is blowing out on that day. So it is one of these things that I wish I had a good answer for you for, but it's one that I can't give you a definitive top three and bottom three. We all know who some of the better ones are. The Cleveland Indians have been great. The San Francisco Giants have been doing a very good job with their bullpen. Josh Hader has been letting the team down a little bit, but whenever you have him active for the Milwaukee Brewers, are good. And then we all know, like, the Baltimore Orioles are trash. The Seattle Mariners, doesn't matter where they are, they have not been very good. But we've also seen some reversals. Like, the New York Mets, for a period this year, looked like the worst group ever. Now they're in the top five with regards to bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break. So it's one of those things that I can't give you a definitive answer on. It all depends on the situation it all depends on the day and whether that team is hot and cold in general. So I wish I had a little bit of a better answer for you. But as I've been saying so much on this podcast, handicap every situation as its own living, breathing entity. Don't just have a clear cut. Oh, this bullpen is the best. This bullpen is the worst. It all depends. Sorry, I couldn't give you a little bit more of a cut and dry answer, but that is the sad and honest truth. And the sad and honest truth is there were a lot of games out there on Major League Baseball on Friday. Let's take a look back at them. Let's try to find some trends and let's try to become better handicappers from it. So who's streaking and who is slumping? It is time for Rakers and Fakers. There was one day game on Friday and of all the Oakland A's and the Chicago White Sox and the A's took the White Sox to the woodshed by a count of 7-0. It was Steven Piscotty getting an early home run off of Ross Detweiler and Matt Chapman. Another one off of Ross Detweiler that got things going and then Chad Pinder got his 11th home run of the year off the bullpen for Steven Piscotty. He wound up getting his 11th at Chapman his 25th as the Oakland A's put up a 5 spot in the 8th inning and the White Sox just could not hit Mike Fires. Mike Fires, ever since the beginning of May, has an ERA below a 2-2. In this game, he goes 7 innings, gives up 3 hits, no earned runs. He has not given up more than 3 earned runs in a start ever since the beginning of May. And then from there, Jake Diekman and Joaquin Soria able to close the door. And for the Chicago White Sox, Ross Detweiler actually wasn't terrible in this one. 5 and a third innings, he gives up those 2 home runs, but... All in all, you couldn't really ask for a whole heck of a lot more considering how bad the White Sox starting rotation is. From there, the bullpen of Jace Fry gives up four runs and Josh Osich gave up a run himself. The Chicago White Sox actually have a pretty decent bullpen, but on this day it wasn't so much. But the bigger issue is the White Sox are scoring fewer than 3.6 runs per game ever since the All-Star break. This is a team that I believe has now scored four four runs or fewer in 21 out of their last 29 games and three runs or fewer in 20 out of their last 30. So it certainly has not been going well for this bunch. It has been going well for the Houston Astros, but if you had them on the run line, well, they didn't cover that. They knock off the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 3-2. to two. For the Houston Astros, 2 of 13 with men in scoring position. They certainly had their chances. They just weren't able to cash in, but Wade Miley was making the climb. He came in like a wrecking ball, and he just took down the Baltimore Orioles. Five and two-thirds innings. He gives up five hits, one earned run. From there, the bullpen goes three and a third innings. They give up one run, so they certainly did their job. But Dylan Bundy, after giving up two runs early in this game, really settled down. Six innings pitch, gives up two runs, and then the bullpen of the Baltimore Orioles, which has been much maligned this year, goes to combine three innings. He gave up one run, and for the Orioles, not too good with men in scoring position as well. They went 0 for 6 in that regard. The New York Yankees also were not able to cash in with men in scoring position. They wind up losing to the Toronto Blue Jays by a count of 8-2. to The 
Yankees were looking for their 10th straight win. And this is, I believe, the first game out of their last 10 on the road that did not go over. So it has been quite earth-shattering there as the Yankees are playing about 74% of their road games to the over. And for the Yankees, both their runs came off of solo home runs. Mike Ford is third of the year. Mike Talkman is 12th. For Jay Happ, he has been absolutely hapless for this team. Five innings pitch, he gives up six runs, all of which were earned, including three home runs. Now he's a 548 ERA. Going deep for the Toronto Blue Jays, Randall Gritchick is 20th home run of the year. Teoscar Hernandez gets two bombs, his 16th and 17th of the year, and Danny Jansen is 10th as John Reed Foley continues to be lights out for the Toronto Blue Jays. He has not given up more than three earned runs at his start this year. Five innings pitch, he gives up one run. The bullpen was able to take it away from there, going and combined four innings, giving up one run, and the Toronto Blue Jays now 8-4 in their last 12 games, so they certainly have been cashing some plus tickets. The LA Angels have not been cashing plus money tickets as they are now 2-11 in their last 13 games and they just get completely crushed by the Boston Red Sox by a count of 16-4. For the Angels, Jaime Badia wound up going five innings in this game, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. The bullpen didn't fare much better. They go three innings. They wind up giving up a grand total of 11 runs. Now the good news is out of those 11 runs, only seven of which were earned, but Trevor Kale, in his two and two-thirds innings, he gives up three home runs. Jaime Barilla gave up two himself. The good news for the Angels is they did get a 3 to nothing lead in this game, thanks to an Albert Pujols home run, his 18th of the year, as that came off of Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson, you knew, wouldn't be long for this game. He goes two and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. Got to give it to the bullpen of the Boston Red Sox, though. They wind up providing six and a third innings, giving up one run in the process, and for the Boston Red Sox, it was a hit parade. Mitch Moreland goes yard for his 14th home run of the year. J.D. Martinez gets two home runs, his 26th and 27th of the year. Mookie Betts proving that he is the Betts around, gets his 20th home run of the year. Rafael Devers is 24th. The Boston Red Sox have now played 61% of their home games to the over, so they've been good in that regard. The Detroit Tigers are now 8-32 and in their last 40 home games as they take down the Kansas City Royals by a count of 5-2, getting back-to-back wins for the first time since I have absolutely no idea when, but for the Detroit Tigers, they were able to get a surprisingly good start out of Edwin Jackson. Six and a third innings, he gives up one run. That one run was a sole home run as actually both of the Royals runs came off of solo homers. Whit Merrifield actually had a leadoff home run his 13th of the year, and then Jorge Soler in the ninth inning gets a home run his 32nd of the year off the bullpen, and the bullpen of the Detroit Tigers winds up going two and two-thirds innings, giving up just that solo home run. And for Brad Keller, a guy that's looked very good ever since the beginning of the month of July, not his start in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up five runs, all of which were earned. He seems to do much better at home than he does on the road. And for the Detroit Tigers, they were able to get a home run off the bat of catcher Jake Rogers. That is his third of the year as the Detroit Tigers have not really been generating a lot of offense. But on this night, they were really able to get to Brad Keller thanks to 12 hits. And a team that was able to get it going on offense as well was the Milwaukee Brewers as they take down the Texas Rangers by kind of 6 of 5. It looked like the Brewers would be able to cruise after they got a three spot in the seventh inning, but the Texas Rangers were able to roar back thanks to a home run by Logan Forsythe. For Forsythe, that was his seventh home run of the year, and then you also had Elvis Andrews wind up getting his ninth home run of the year. That was off of Josh Hader, and Josh Hader, right now, not looking right for the Milwaukee Brewers. He came in with a lead. He wasn't able to hold it, and then Hunter Pence gets his 17th home run of the year, and then you had Kyle Allard get his first start of the season for the Texas Rangers. He had previously been with the organization of the Atlanta Braves. Nothing great, nothing awful. Four and a third innings. Probably wanted more length, but he only gave up two runs. Then the bullpen of the Texas Rangers, headlined by Sean Kelly giving up three runs while recording two outs, winds up going a combined four and a third innings, giving up four runs, all of which were earned. Needless to say, things have not been going well for them there. 
But an interesting sidebar, you did have Delano DeShields Jr. get three stolen bases in a game. You don't see that very often. But for the Milwaukee Brewers, Gio Gonzalez certainly did his job. He's not giving a lot of length with his starts, but he went five innings, giving up one run. That one run was one of those home runs. But then you had Josh Hader giving up that home run. He tried to get a five-out save, and he wound up giving up that home run. And then you had Jacob Faria, who was acquired from the Tampa Bay Rays, give up two runs while recording just one out. But in this game, it was Eric Thames that was the hero for the Milwaukee Brewers. His 16th home run of the year. That was off the bullpen, and that was a walk-off winner for the Milwaukee Brewers as they get the job done and move to 61-56 and 56 on the campaign. The Cincinnati Reds have been the best under team out there in the big leagues, hitting over 60% of their games to the under. They were able to hold down the Chicago Cubs by a count of 5-2, winning this one. Hugh Darvish just continues to be a guy that you can't trust in. He winds up going six innings. The nine strikeouts are nice, but what wasn't nice is the fact they gave up four runs, all of which were earned, including three home runs. For the Cincinnati Reds, the power was off the bat of Joey Votto, his 12th of the year, Artias Aquino, his fourth, and Yohitinho Suarez, his 31st, as Trevor Bauer, a terrific start for the Cincinnati Reds. He is all over the place. You don't know whether he's going to give up five runs or if he's going to give up one or fewer, and in this start, he winds up going seven innings, getting 11 strikeouts, gives up one earned run, and then the bullpen from there for the Cincinnati Reds, which has been in the bottom five in regards to ERA over the last three days. They give up one run in two innings, and it was a home run that Trevor Bauer did give up. That was to Nick Cassianos. That was his fourth of the campaign, and I will say for the Chicago Cubs, they did have Steve Ciszek give up a run in an inning of work, but all in all, their bullpen has looked a lot better. The bullpen of the Miami Marlins has not looked a whole lot better recently as they lose the Atlanta Braves by kind of 8-4. to four. Julio Teheran, though, this is a man that has given up Two earned runs that has given up more than two earned runs in just three starts since the beginning of May. And he once again delivered a gem. Seven innings pitch. He gives up one run. That one run was a sole home run. As going deep for the Miami Marlins, Sterling Castro is 11th of the year. But you have seen the Atlanta Braves really not have a good time of it with their bullpen. They wind up giving up three runs to two innings. They've been a bottom five group in regards to bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break. But they've also been one of the best teams with regards to getting runs and home runs, and in this game, they had three of them in regards to home runs. Ronald Acuna Jr. goes deep twice, his 31st and 32nd of the year, and Ozzie Albies is 18th as Caleb Smith has had a little bit of an issue giving up the deep ball, and in this one, he got gelled. Four and two-thirds innings, he gives up six runs off which were including two of those home runs. Austin Bryce gave up one of those home runs out of the bullpen as well, but all in all, they were not too bad, but the Miami Marlins continue to be a bottom three team out there in the big leagues. With regards to offensive runs per game scored, a team that has been generating quite a bit of offense recently is the New York Mets, and they get a dramatic win over the Washington Nationals. 7-6 to six the final. The Washington Nationals bullpen has actually been much better ever since the month of June. They've been league average with regards to their fielding independent and ERA, but Sean Doolittle, well, for betters, he did very little. He gave up four runs while recording two outs in the ninth, and it squanders what was a pretty good start for Steven Strasburg. Seven innings pitch, gives up three runs, including two home runs. Going deep for the Mets in this one off of Strasburg was J.D. Davis, his 13th, and Pete Alonso's 38th, but Todd Frazier was able to get a big home run in the ninth, his 15th, and then the Mets were able to get the walk-off winner from there as Marcus Stroman wound up giving up quite a few runs himself. Six innings pitch, gives up four runs, all of which were and He has not necessarily been sharp with the Mets, but the Mets' bullpen seems to be improving, even though on this night they give up two runs in three innings, but they certainly did a whole lot more than Sean Doolittle, and for the Washington Nationals, they got a pair of home runs themselves. Anthony Rendon is 25th, Juan Soto is 22nd, but the Nationals as well 
two of 13 with men in scoring position. A team that has been leaving a whole lot of men on base is the Colorado Rockies, and they wind up losing to the San Diego Padres by a count of 7-1. to Kyle Freeland has one win since the beginning of May, and in this one, he didn't get one as well. Six innings pitch, gives up three runs, all of which weren't. I believe that he's given up three earned runs or more in all but one of his starts since the beginning of May. And then you had Scott Oberg from the bullpen, arguably their best bullpen piece, give up four runs in an inning as well, including a home run for the San Diego Padres, being able to supply that power. Josh Naylor is fifth of the year, and for the Colorado Rockies, they were one for six in this game with men in scoring position, and for the Colorado Rockies, they have now lost 14 out of their last 17 road games, so they have really been struggling, but who's not struggling? Cal Quantrill, the San Diego Padres, seven innings pitch, does not give up a single earned run. From there, you had the bullpen, go combine two innings, giving up one run, but Cal Quantrill has looked very sharp ever since the middle of July. He's got an ERA below a 2-5 in that time, and he has been very reliable for the San Diego Padres. The Cleveland Indians bullpen has been reliable all year long, and it powered them to a 6-2 victory over the Minnesota Twins. And what else powered them to victory? Shane Bieber fever. Seven innings pitch. He gives up two solo home runs, but he still delivered great length and got another win. Going deep for the Minnesota Twins in this one, Eddie Rosario, his 25th home run of the year, and Jason Castro is 12th. But for the Cleveland Indians, they weren't able to get any home runs, but you know what's better than home runs? Six total runs as they were able to get 14 hits. They went 5 of 14 with men in scoring position. And for the Minnesota Twins, it was Devin Smeltzer who saw a little bit of regression. He had stranded every man that had reached base on him this year going into the start. Well, that wasn't the case in this one. Four and two-thirds innings. Four and a third innings. He gives up six runs, all of which were earned. Got to give it to the bullpen. They wind up going four and two-thirds innings, not giving up a run. This is a Minnesota Twins team that has had a bottom eight bullpen in regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break. But for the Cleveland Indians, once again, their bullpen was good. They wind up going two innings, not giving up a single earned run. So they certainly did their part. The St. Louis Cardinals were able to do their part with the offense as they knock off the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 6-2. Surprisingly in this one, it wasn't the fault of Chris Archer that the Pirates lost this game. He winds up going six innings, giving up two runs. He was very decent there, but then Richard Rodriguez comes out of the bullpen for the Pittsburgh Pirates and while recording one out, he gives up four runs, three of which were earned for the St. Louis Cardinals. Getting the big hit in this one was Marcel Ozuna, his 22nd home run of the year. Dakota Hudson was not long for this game for the St. Louis Cardinals, though. The team is now... 12-3 and three over the course of his last 15 starts, but really wasn't him on this one. Four innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned. I'm pretty sure he left with an injury, seeing as though he only threw 49 pitches, but the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen themselves has been a top six group all year long with regards to ERA. They go a combined five innings, don't give up a single earned run. The St. Louis Cardinals have now played over 62% of their home games to the under. That is the highest percent of a team's home games to go under all year long. The San Francisco Giants have one of the biggest splits with regards to runs scored at home compared to on the road. On the road, they've been averaging nearly 5.2 runs per game at home, more like 3.3. But in this one, it was a little bit of a higher scoring game, and the Giants wound up losing it to the Philadelphia Phillies by a count of 96. Drew Smiley wound up giving length, but not necessarily a great start for the Phillies. He winds up giving up six runs, four of which were earned in five and two-thirds innings. And the Giants were able to get a trio of home runs in this one as well. Stephen Voigt is sixth of the year. Kevin Pillar is 14th. And from the good old Baltimore Orioles, Joey Rickard, he gets his first as a San Francisco Giant, I believe his second of the year. But Tyler Beattie, who had been one of the top 10 most profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues going into this start, 
He winds up getting shelled. Five innings pitch, gives up five runs, all of which were earned. And then the San Francisco Giants, who entered into this night with the second-best bullpen ERA in the big leagues, they go a combined four innings, but it was Tony Watson who gave up four runs, all of which were earned, without even recording it out. For the Philadelphia Phillies, it was Bryce Harper being able to get a pair of home runs in this one. His 21st and 22nd of the year for RBI. He came up big in the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen, which has been much maligned all year long. Three and a third innings. They don't give up a single earned run. Very good sign for them. And then we've got two games in progress as I do this right now. The Tampa Bay Rays are entering into the bottom of the ninth inning. Up on the Seattle Mariners by a count of 5-2. you got to think that the Mariners probably not going to be able to muster up a comeback. But Jalen Beeks, who got the start in this one, was not long for the game. He racked up 85 pitches in three and two-thirds innings, but he only gave up two runs, one of which was earned. He was hurt a little bit by his fielding. And then from there, the Tampa Bay Rays have so far went four and a third innings, not allowing a single run. But for the Seattle Mariners, Needless to say, they didn't get quite that good of a backup plan for Marco Gonzalez, who had a very good start in this one. Six and a third innings. He gives up two runs. But then you had Anthony Bass come out of the bullpen for an inning, giving up three runs, two of which were earned for the Seattle Mariners, a bullpen that is in the bottom five with regards to ERA in the big leagues. And the Seattle Mariners currently 2 of 12 with men in scoring position. The Tampa Bay Rays themselves have not hit a home run, and they're 1 of 10 with men in scoring position, but they have been the beneficiary of some bad fielding by the Seattle Mariners as well. And we're going into the top of the 10th inning between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the LA Dodgers. This game was 2-0 Dodgers going into the top of the ninth inning, and then the Arizona Diamondbacks were able to strike with a Carson Kelly two-run home run his 15th of the year. That came off of Kenley Jansen, who all of a sudden has become unreliable as Walker Buehler winds up going in this game six innings, doesn't give up a single earned run. From there, you had the bullpen doing their job until it got to Kenley Jansen, and it looks like it's a improved Dodgers bullpen, but Kenley Jansen just proving that he's still not himself. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Robbie Ray gave a pretty good start. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned, and the bullpen from there has won three innings without giving up a run. So that is big for an Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen that, let's face it, has been pretty bad themselves. And I did get a question on Twitter as to who I would have as my starters for a Dodgers series one through three if they were to get to the postseason, which obviously they will, between Hunjin Ryu, Walker Buehler, and Clayton Kershaw. The order I would have that in, by the way, Hunjin Ryu, Clayton Kershaw, Walker Buehler. You want to have that experience of Clayton Kershaw in case if you get into a sticky situation in like a game five or something like that in Hunjin Ryu. I do feel like he's right now the ace of that staff. So that's the order I would go with it. And the Dodgers and the Arizona Diamondbacks have been playing some tight games recently. Going into this game, the Arizona Diamondbacks have been 11-4 and on the road with regards to the run line of the Dodgers, but I believe that they had lost six games by one run when they went to L.A. What did we all learn from Major League Baseball on this Friday? Mike Fires continues to be straight. Fires, meanwhile, the White Sox have no offense getting going whatsoever. Wade Miley still having a party in the USA, and if you're betting him on the money line, he's having a party in your wallet for you. The Toronto Blue Jays appear to be heating up, and the New York Yankees are not getting very good starting pitching whatsoever, but they're playing a lot of overs on the road, even though yesterday did not go over. The Boston Red Sox continue to play overs at home, and the LA Angels are just looking completely woeful right now. Perhaps the Detroit Tigers have something going, and perhaps the Kansas City Royals have one of the worst offenses we've ever seen as they were held down by Edwin Jackson. The Washington Nationals bullpen still has some issues, and the New York Mets are now 14-1 out of their last 15 games. Needless to say, hottest team out there in the big leagues. Julio Tehran is one of the hottest pitchers out there in the big leagues, but he's not being priced as one, and Caleb Smith seems to be falling back to earth a little bit. The Chicago Cubs are 12 games below 500 on the road despite being 
a team that wins 66.6% of its games at home, and the Cincinnati Reds just continue to play unders. The Milwaukee Brewers bullpen has proven to be unreliable, but that goes double for the Texas Rangers. The Cleveland Indians bullpen, though, it's proving to be very reliable. Meanwhile, it appears as though regression has set in for Devin Smeltzer of the Minnesota Twins. Despite a good start from Chris Archer, the Pirates still are continuing their losing ways since the All-Star break, 4-22 since the break. Meanwhile, the St. Louis Cardinals continue to play unders at home. The Colorado Rockies are looking woeful on the road. Meanwhile, the San Diego Padres are getting great starts from Cal Quantrill. The Orza Diamondbacks and LA Dodgers continue to play close games whenever they hook up at Dodger Stadium. And the San Francisco Giants are right now falling back to earth, losing seven out of their last nine after they were on a big burner run. And perhaps Bryce Harper has turned a corner for the Philadelphia Phillies. So that is what we all learned from Major League Baseball on Friday. Now let's talk about the league in general. Let's talk about some guys that could make an impact down the stretch. And let's talk about some teams that you should not be sleeping on. Dan Zaborski of Fangrass is going to be talking about all that with me and more next right here on MLB Overtime Bet. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. We're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Kill Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. It is always great to have on our next guest. He does tremendous work with Fangrass, and he is a gentleman that also still contributes to ESPN. He is a man that does a little bit of everything. He looks at baseball from more of an analytics perspective, but at the same time, he does a very good job of being able to put things in layman's terms as well. You can follow him on Twitter at DZimborski, and that is spelled the letter D and then S-Z-Y-B-O-R-S-K-I. Dan Zimborski joining me right here on the podcast. And Dan, how are you doing on this fine day? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Greg? I am always doing well. Thank you so much for joining me in. I think we can both agree that a team doing very well is the Houston Astros with all the pickups that they have. I would have to argue that this is right now the best team out there in baseball. You take a look at the futures board over there at the Westgate. They're 2-1 to one to win the World Series, and in all honesty, I just can't disagree with that. We see the New York Yankees playing some great baseball, but let's face it, they're right now in the part of their schedule where they're playing like the Blue Jays, Baltimore Orioles, and everything like that, and they're pretty banged up, and... I just don't see how you could put any team over the Houston Astros right now for that number one spot in the big leagues. No, I, I think they're the best team in the league right now, and it was nice to see one of the contenders really make an all-in type of move when they picked up Zach Granke because they traded up some real prospects. I mean, they didn't give up Kyle Tucker, who they didn't really want to for obvious reasons. They didn't give up Jordan Alvarez for, again, obvious reasons, but they gave up some pretty good pieces to bring in Zach Granke. They got it to work out. And it's the kind of thing that other teams should have been doing. You saw a lot of teams only make, you know, pick up some relievers here and there while Houston made the splash to the rotation. I'm not sure if I buy two to one odds, but they are the best team in baseball right now. Oh, yes. And whenever you have the number one team out there in baseball, they're always going to be a little bit overinflated. And I felt like we were maybe a little bit overinflated on the San Francisco Giants for a while. This was a team that. From the end of June until I would say late July was just on a one month run that I think that we both still have no idea how they were able to do it. This is a team that still has a very good bullpen. You still have Madison Bumgarner who's doing a great job, but then you've got guys like Sean Anderson and Connor Menez who are right now starting and it's not like they're the worst starting pitchers in the world, but at the same time, it's not quite enough to be able to keep you afloat. Joe Panic is no longer on the roster. He was a big part of the team that won their last World Series. And 
you just don't have a lot of guys other than maybe Donovan Solano that surprised me in that lineup. And I think that the Giants are now playing to their true form, which is a team that is just below 500, but is going to keep it close just because they keep games low scoring in general. Yeah, you, you look at the Giants rotation, and it's just hard to see that rotation in October. I know that the NL is, you know, a very even league from top to bottom, at least after the Dodgers. But I mean, literally, whose rotation would you take the Giants over? I'm thinking Orioles, Blue Jays, and then I kind of get stuck. I think I'd actually rather have the Marlins rotation. I'd rather have the Tigers rotation since they hung on to Boyd. And that's that's not very complimentary. I will say, I will take the San Francisco Giants over the Detroit Tigers, as we do have Dan Zaborski joining me on the podcast, because you take a look at the Detroit Tigers. You bring up Matthew Boyd. I'm surprised he did not get moved at the deadline. You do have a couple guys that are doing an okay job of pitching for the Detroit Tigers, but then you got Trevor Rosenthal in the bullpen. He had a whip when he was with the Washington Nationals of a 3.63. I can't remember any guy ever having a whip of a 3.63 with a team. That was very interesting. You've had like Ryan Carpenter and Gregory Soto give starts and everything like that. And this Detroit Tigers team, dare I say, is as bad as the Baltimore Orioles were last year. Yeah, the offense is really, really terrible. And obviously they had to give up Nicholas Castellanos. There was no reason to keep him around. But still, without Castellanos in that lineup, I made a joke that the Tigers aren't going to have to install nets for a while because they don't have anyone who can actually hit into the crowd. This offense is just absolutely terrible. You've got Brandon Dixon right now as the best power hitter on that team, as Dan Zaborski joining me right here on the podcast. And another team that's really struggling with the power is the Chicago White Sox. The Chicago White Sox, in their first 27 games since the All-Star break, averaging 3.6 runs per game. Worst offense out there in the big leagues. Now, I know that a little bit is because Yohan Moncada has been out of the fold for the last couple weeks, but what in the world has happened to the Chicago White Sox? I felt like they were playing a little bit above their heads to begin the year. You're actually noticing guys like Ivan Nova pitching better, but at the same time, this offense, even though you have a couple guys that are hitting right around 300 and Ryan Goins and Tim Anderson, they're just not getting anything generated. They just have a lot of positions where they're not getting power. And that's kind of a problem in 2019 because if you don't have power, everyone has power. So it's not like you'd say, oh, there's another 15 teams in the league that aren't hitting a home run a game. The White Sox have had a serious power outage. They're down near the bottom of the AL in home runs. And they play in a park that's actually home run friendly. It's not like they're playing like in San Francisco or San Diego. I think that they still have a lot to sort out. I think people were a little too high on them. I think that the rebuild's on the right track. There have been some concerns. I mean, they've lost, you know, three pictures to Tommy John surgery that they were really looking forward to, you know, Dunning and Kopech and Rodon. I think it's a team that's still in the way, but I think that some of the respectable playing was a little too soon and people got excited a little too quickly about the White Sox. I do think so as well. It's one of those cases where it seemed like the pitching was actually underperforming a little bit at the beginning of the year. Now it's the fact that the bats were overperforming a little bit, and now they're underperforming themselves. So it's so interesting. What else I find interesting in baseball is, as we do this podcast, the New York Yankees, with regards to their road games, in regards to over-under, they have played 75.5% of their road games to the over in baseball. Now, I find that absolutely incredible. I think that it's a two-pronged thing. The New York Yankees are not getting anything out of their starters. James Paxson has had a couple nice starts, but he has not been himself. Masahiro Tanaka has been Tanaka'd around. It has not been good. And the New York Yankees in general are playing against a bunch of bad teams on the road, and they've really been able to slug out the home runs. 
Do you think that this Yankees run of just being able to score in general is for real? Because I'm noticing guys like Mike Talkman hitting 300. I saw Kyle Igashioka hit two home runs in a game a few days ago, and I'm just here like, who are these guys, and why in the world is Cameron May been hitting 325? Well, that's kind of the magic of playing the Orioles. The Yankees so just true. set the all-time record for most home runs against a single By like team. like 14 the of them. <laughs> and they hit a lot. It's pretty amusing. The Orioles are, at this point, they're on pace to set the home run allowed record by like 70 home runs. That's absurd. They're like 25 or something away. They have to allow like half a home run a game for the rest of the season, which isn't going to happen for obvious reasons. I mean, the Yankees, they got a quarter of their road games, essentially. They got 20 games a year, give or take, against the Orioles and the Blue Jays. So that's good for the divisional stats for AL East teams playing on the road. Oh, uh, I'm right. I think, it's a, I think it's a really good team. I think they're disappointed, too, that they couldn't close a deal for one of the pitchers out there because the Astros took a big heads up over them when they got cranky and the Yankees weren't able to acquire a similar upgrade. I agree with you. I think that the Yankees were really looking for that marquee starting pitcher and said they're now stuck with the guys like Jay Happ and company as we do have Dan Zaborski joining me right here on the podcast and a couple teams out there in the NL were able to make some moves. The Chicago Cubs were able to do a nice job of being able to bring in a couple pieces. Nick Cassianos has done a good job in that lineup. But my big concern with the Chicago Cubs is the fact that they play so well at home. They're winning right around 67% of their games at home. On the road, they're over 10 games below 500, though. And then you got the St. Louis Cardinals, a team that is just not scoring a lot right now. I know that they got Marcelo Zuna back in the fold about a week ago. And they do have a couple guys that are doing a decent job. I do like the fact that Paul Goldschmidt has been coming on. But which out of these two teams are you buying a little bit more out there in the NL Central? Just because I feel like both the Cardinals and the Cubs both have some things that they do very well, but they both have their deficiencies as well. I think the Cubs have higher upside. The Cardinals are always a team that seems to have kind of a low ceiling but a high floor. The Cardinals are never really truly terrible, but they're rarely ever truly great. That is such a good point. I know what you're saying because I still remember when the Cardinals won their last World Series quite a few years ago. They were like 10 games out of the wild card, and then they just got out one big run to be able to win it. Yeah, if if you told me that the Cardinals won between 85 and 88 games every single year of my life, I probably would believe you, Uh, even though I know that's not quite true. But I would totally believe that until I thought about it because – I mean, it's a good team and it's a solid team, but it's a team that never really has that high upside. And they kind of were a hard team to upgrade at the trade deadline because they don't have glaring holes. You look at a team like the Cubs, they have some really high highlights. You look at players like Javier Baez and Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo generally, but they have holes and holes are easier to fill than average players because to upgrade on a hole, you just need an okay player to upgrade on an average player. You essentially need a star. So the Cubs, I think, did a little better. And I think Nicholas Castellanos was probably the best fit for the Cubs of probably any team for him. So it's a good fit for them. They were lucky to be able to pick up an extra catcher and Jonathan Lucroy after injuries hit again. And they had already traded away Maldonado again. I think the Cubs are the best team. And you can see them starting to pull a little bit away just slowly. Yeah, and it's really interesting because both these teams are... In regards to post-All-Star break ERA, in the top six in that regard as well. So both these teams are getting some pretty good pitching. The Cardinals, it just feels like, don't quite have the bats that the Chicago Cubs do. But a team that has been really good after the All-Star break as well. The New York Mets, as a matter of fact, they've been the best team in regards to record ever since the All-Star break. They go on a run where they win 13 out of 14 games. I think that we'd both be lying to ourselves and the audience if we said that we all saw this coming, but how have the Cubs been able to do it? Because this bullpen 
for a three-week stretch, was the worst bullpen I had ever <laughs> seen in my life. And ever since the All-Star break, they're right around the top five in regards to bullpen ERA. One of the nice things in the rotation, the Mets kind of failed to do what they wanted to do. And that was good for them because, you know, they wanted to acquire Stroman and then for some reason trade away either Syndergaard or Wheeler. But they failed to do the second part of that. And they accidentally ended up with both Zip's projections, my projections, and Steamer, Jared Cross's projections, both of them have the Mets as the best rotation going forward in the major leagues, even better than the Astros. Simply because, you know, projections haven't been as high on Wade Miley as he has pitched. But they think Mets have the best pitching rotation in the majors. And it's like by accident, it's like we failed to trade Syndergaard, so now we have the best rotation. We're sorry, Jeff Wilpon. <laughs> oh, that is so funny, and. It would be so funny if Mickey Calloway winds up winning like manager of the year and then he gets fired like Joe Girardi. It's one of those things that I think we can both see coming with the way that the Mets just always try to be the New York Mets as Dan Zaborski joined me right here on the podcast. Did you ever see the producers? I have seen that. The yes. Mets, the Mets are the producers. They have accidentally made a hit and now they're going to have the whole song, you know, where did we go right? And boom. Upon us. Now we have to pay Cindergarden next year. It's a very entertaining thing they have in New York. Oh, it absolutely is. And what else I'm very entertained by is how good the Cleveland Indians bullpen has been this year. In past years, we would always comment, oh, can the Cleveland Indians overcome their bullpen and everything like that? They are by far the number one team in the league right now in regards to bullpen ERA. As we're doing this podcast, they have a bullpen ERA right around a 3-2. They've all been very good in that game a couple days ago against the Texas Rangers. They took the wholesale approach, and everyone in that game was dynamic. You trade for Femio Reyes. You trade for Yasiel Puig. How realistic do you think it is that the Cleveland Indians might be able to overtake the Minnesota Twins? Because I'm looking record-wise, and ever since the beginning of June, this team has the best record out there in the big leagues. Yeah, they're only a couple games back. The Indians have shown some life. And I wasn't really understanding a Trevor Bauer trade. But with Kluber coming closer to returning, Delazar returning, even though I don't think he looked really that great, I think they felt that the offense was more serious than any loss of Bauer would be. Because Puig's not a great hitter at this point. But he's a great hitter for the Indians' offense, which has had a lot of holes. And I know we've talked about this a lot previously, but they went in very, very reliant on Ramirez and Lindor carrying the team. And when one of them wasn't very good, then it just, you know, they went splat, essentially. They're still 10th in the league in runs scored, but I think that they'll do better than that the rest of the year. I agree with you. And then I think that with the Cleveland Indians, they do have a couple pieces moving forward that could make a big implication on the playoff hunt. I like the way that Zach Plesak has pitched the past couple games. Shane Bieber has been absolutely tremendous in regards to giving this team length. Some of the fly balls that he gives up are going to make you really hold your breath. But at the same time, Shane Bieber certainly has been getting the job done. Who are a couple guys that you think could impact the playoff races that you think are a little bit off the radar? Because I certainly think that the Cleveland Indians have some pitchers that can make a big impact. And I do think that Jordan Alvarez of the Houston Astros, we talk about all those big boppers like your George Springer's, Jose Altuve's, and the big acquisition with Zach Greinke. But I think that Jordan Alvarez could be that unsung piece that really pushes the Astros over the top myself. I think when, I think when we talk about Indians, we talk about their pitching kind of being especially important because they don't have Trevor Bauer anymore. I think that Mike Clevenger coming back healthy and continuing to pitch well is huge for them. I mean, he's striking out 13 guys a game. He's kind of continuing where he left off before that really early back problems that kind of cost him two months of the season, three months of the season. I think that's kind of the key because if the Indians can get 
a full, healthy rest of the season from Clevenger, get some good news with Kluber, I think they're very dangerous for the Twins. I totally agree with you. I do think that there is a lot there with the Cleveland Indians. And is there any other team in general that you think might not be in the playoff picture right now that could creep their way into it? I think that the Tampa Bay Rays, if they're able to get Tyler Glasnow back, and I know that his injury status just keeps getting pushed back further and further and further, I think he could be a difference maker. I still think for some reason that there is a little bit of a possibility that we could see some fireworks out there in the NLEC. Atlanta Braves bullpen has been totally imploding recently, though I do love their offense as well. Who's just a team or two that you think could go on a run later on in the year? Because we have seen teams erase like 10-game deficits to be able to make the postseason. I think people are still sleeping on the A's, and I especially think that people have been sleeping on Mike Fires of all people. Oh my gosh, uh, this guy in his season. last 17 starts has yeah. given up three earned runs or fewer, and he's given a quality start in every one of them. He's got an ERA right around two since the beginning of May. He's fantastic. Yeah, it's been April because he started off killed by the Mariners or then bombed by the Astros and bombed by the Rangers. And he was just looking terrible this year. But since April, I don't have the since April ERA in front of me, but he has to be way up there because just above two. I actually wrote this up for the New York Post. It's right around a two, two going into his start on Thursday. He or his start on Friday. He has been magic. Yeah. And nobody's been talking about Mike Fires, which is ridiculous. I mean, yeah, he doesn't throw 98 miles per hour. But he has gotten it done again in every start. He shut down Houston twice. He shut down the Twins. It's not like he's just pitching against poor teams. So I think he's a huge factor that he's like a real ace. The A's lost when Montes was suspended. I agree with you. He's been one of the most undervalued pitchers by bookmakers out here in Las Vegas all year long. And something else that is undervalued is just how tremendous Dan Zaborski's work is. A lot of people say that he does a tremendous job, but he does more than a tremendous job because he is Dan Zaborski. is one of the best at what he does for Fangrass and ESPN. And I'd like to close it out with this. Where could the good people get a little bit more of your work? And how do people find you since you are doing such a tremendous job? Well, you can always find me at Fangraphs.com almost every single day. I still write now and then for ESPN. You can find me on Twitter getting mad about things, usually at like 3 in the morning, because I kind of have the hours of an 80s disco kid without the partying. Uh, well, club kid, not disco kid. That's <laughs> showing my age. But anyway, that's where you can find my work. Oh, that is terrific. And being out here on the West Coast, that's midnight, and that means that I'm up to be able to see it all. So you do me a very tremendous service, and I appreciate it. So a big thanks to Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And coming up next, it is that time they give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey! I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And we're back here in the Zuni to Kill Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to call 
Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes to these plays are going to be listed up on my Twitter feed, at GunaNerdsCourty1. With some of these plays, they are all locked in, good to go, bet on, everything like that. With some of these plays, we are in wait and see mode, waiting on some line moves, lineup changes, everything like that. The final two games on the board are off the board due to pitching changes, and I'll be keeping you guys abreast of all that and all the locked-in numbers I do get will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNRSquare81. And as per usual, we're going in Las Vegas rotation order, and that begins with 951-952. The Philadelphia Phillies at the road to face off against the San Francisco Giants. Jeff Samarjo goes for the Giants. Vince Velasquez for the Philadelphia Phillies across the board. The total on this game is 8.5. Over as Juice minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Giants, Slaying minus 112. Meanwhile, the Philadelphia Phillies plus 102. Vince Velasquez has actually looked a little bit better in his recent starts. Now, this is a guy that's giving up two home runs for nine innings, but he's got the most outfield assists of any pitcher out there in the big leagues. And in his last start against the Arizona Diamondbacks, he gives up two runs in seven innings and his two starts previous against the Giants and also against the Detroit Tigers to combine 10 and two-thirds innings and giving up two runs there. He hasn't given up more than four runs in an appearance ever since May 6th. So he's actually been doing a solid job there. Then you take a look at Jeff Samarja. This is a guy that for the years has given up right around 1.5 to 1.6 home runs per nine innings. But I will say, ever since the beginning of July, he has been better. He had one bad start against the Mets in which he gave up four runs in five innings. But the Mets are a team that, as we found out, have been playing very well. Well, he had a rough month of June, but ever since July, he has been doing a great job of being able to keep things out in front of him. And let's face it, both these lineups aren't necessarily doing a whole lot with the bat. With the Philadelphia Phillies, you do have Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins, two guys that do a solid job of being able to go yard day if a combined 44 home runs and are both hitting right around a 250, but it's still not a whole heck of a lot that's going to excite you. You've got Gene Segura and Scott Kingery both hitting between a 275 and a 285 along with Cesar Hernandez, but Cesar Hernandez has been in and out of the lineup a little bit. He was used in a pinch hitting role on Thursday. JT Riamuto also been in and out of the lineup. He's hitting a 270. You've got Jay Bruce back in the fold. Ever since he got to Philadelphia, he's hitting a 250 and he's got 24 home runs, so got to think that that's going to be a little bit of a shot in the arm, but then you've got guys like Austin Knapp, Roman Quinn, Nick Williams, Brad Miller, they're all hitting at 220 or lower. Miguel Franco has been absent without leave the last couple days. He hasn't been doing a lot. And then for the San Francisco Giants, this is a team that recently let go of Joe Panic. They've got guys like Brandon Belt, Scooter Jeanette, Brandon Crawford, all hitting a 235 or lower. I will say that Austin Slater has been solid. 275 batting average there. Mike Ustremski more around to 270 along with Stephen Boyd and Buster Posey. 260 himself, but... You're looking at two teams that they don't have a lot of hitting. With the San Francisco Giants, you have the second-best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues with Phillies. They are below average with regards to bullpen ERA. And with the San Francisco Giants, I do think that Samarja is going to give a little bit more length of physical Alaskas. So for that reason, don't think we're going to see a whole lot of scoring in this game. Going to be taking this total under. And then with regards to the side, going to be looking at the San Francisco Giants. I know the Giants open up more around a minus 120-ish. So in Wayne Simo to see if I'm able to get more of a even money price on the San Francisco Giants and I've seen a little bit of steam coming on the over as well so waiting on both of those 953-954 on the bank rotation Miami Marlins play the Atlanta Braves Mike Soroka goes for the Atlanta Braves Sandy Alcantara for the Miami Marlins your total on this game is 8.5 the under is just a minus 115 the over is minus 105 if you're looking at the Marlins going to be getting plus 190 meanwhile the Atlanta Braves are laying minus 210 and the Atlanta Braves as a road favorite this year 22-8 and eight. they've been doing a very good job in that regard. And how about Mike Soroka not really giving up the deep ball? This is a man that is giving up 
just over a half a home run per nine innings. He's been absolutely dynamic in that regard. 10 and 2, 245 ERA. We also know with the Miami Marlins, in regards to home runs per game at home, they rank in the bottom three in the big leagues. It's them and the Detroit Tigers. And with Soroka, he has had a couple starts where he's given up four runs. He had two of those since in the month of July, but this is a guy that's given up more than four earned runs in just one start so far this year. And I think he's given up four earned runs or more in just three starts. So he's done a great job of being able to keep things out in front of him. Doesn't really give out a lot of walks. Meanwhile, Sandy Alcantara, he does give out a lot of walks. Four and a half walks per nine innings, four and 10 record, 450 ERA. Ever since the All-Star break, he's been a little bit of a hot mess. He's given up four earned runs or more in three out of his last five starts. I will say he didn't look bad against the New York Mets. Team let him down a little bit there, but we know that with the Atlanta Braves, they're certainly going to be backing up Soroka with a whole lot more offense than that of the Miami Marlins. You do have Freddie Freeman and Ronald Cunha Jr., both with a combined 59 home runs. Ronald Cunha Jr., Ozzy Albies, two guys hitting a 295. Freddie Freeman, a 307. Then you've got Josh Johnson, 26 home runs, 265 batting average. Got a couple guys that aren't necessarily shelling it out with the power. Trey Flowers and Ender Enciarte. Both hitting between a 220 and a 230. You do have Charlie Culverson who's now seeing more action. He's been hitting at 325. He's been solid there. And Adam Duvall seems to be cooling off a little bit, but ever since getting called up to the big leagues, hitting just below 300. But for the Miami Marlins, you don't have a lot of power in this lineup either. The only guy that's really providing home runs is Brad Anderson. He has 20 of them going into Friday, 252 batting average. Sterling Castro is also hitting a 251. Jorge Alfaro, a 258. And then you got the guys that they just need to pick it up. Lewis Brinson, Curtis Granderson, Austin Dean, Yadiel Rivera. They're all hitting a 220 or lower. But John Birdie, ever since he's gotten back in the fold, he's hitting a 300. That's nice. Garrett Cooper's hitting a 285. Errol Ramirez has seen a dip in his batting average, but he's still hitting right around a 265. But you just don't have a lot with the Miami Marlins with regards to hitting, and with the Atlanta Braves, you certainly do have some tremendous pitching, and with the Atlanta Braves, obviously one of the best lineups out there in the big leagues, but we know that Miami does provide very much a pitcher-friendly ballpark, so I do think that this total is going to go under, but I think that Soroka is going to turn another gem, and he's really going to hold down the Miami Marlins, so going to be looking at the Atlanta Braves to continue their road dominance on the run line. Currently seeing run line price on the Atlanta Braves anywhere between minus 125 and minus 130. like to lay a little bit less juice there. I would like to see if I'm able to get this 85 on juice since the total opened up at 8. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting rotation. The Cincinnati Reds are going to be playing OC Chicago Cubs. Kyle Hendricks goes for the Cubs. Sonny Gray for the Reds. Your total on this game is 9. The under is just a minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the Reds, laying anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Meanwhile, with the Cubs, that's anywhere between even and minus 105. And the Cubs, as we know, have just not been the same team on the road as they have been at home. And Kyle Hendricks, very much the epitome of that. At home so far this year, Kyle Hendricks has an ERA below two. When he hits the road, his ERA is above four. I will say, in his last road start against the St. Louis Cardinals, he won seven innings and did not give up a single run. So obviously, that was very encouraging. And if you take a look at his last four road starts, he's given up a combined four runs. Now, I will say that in two of those starts, he didn't make it past the fourth inning. So obviously, that's a little bit of an issue. But I will also say the Chicago Cubs, ever since the All-Star break, have had one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Reds, over the last 30 days, they've had a bottom five bullpen out there in the big leagues. But Sonny Gray has been very good for this team all year long. Both he and Kyle Hendricks giving up right around one home run per nine innings. Sonny Gray is 6-6, but his 3.25 ERA is very sterling. He did have a little bit of a bad start in his last home start against the Pittsburgh Pirates in which he gave up four earned runs, but you take a look at this guy really ever since 
April 23rd. He's given up four earned runs in two starts, and he's given up three earned runs or fewer in every one of his other starts. He's done well on the road. He's done well at home. And with the Cincinnati Reds, you don't have a lot of guys that are necessarily showing out power. Eugenio Suarez is really this team's big bopper. He's got 30 home runs. He's hitting right in between a 255 and a 260, so he's certainly been doing a good job there. Joey Votto hitting in the realm of a 260, but then you do have quite a few guys hitting between a 270 and a 280. Jesse Winker, Josh Van Meter, and Nick Senzel have all been in that neighborhood, and I will say Philip Irvin and Artias Aquino, two young outfielders, have been doing a great job ever since they've been inserted into the lineup. Tucker Barnard selling at 220, Jose Peraza at 235. So this team's has its ups and its downs. Meanwhile, the Chicago Cubs, you've got a very good middle of the lineup with Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Ivy Bias. Bryant and Rizzo both hitting between a 285 and a 292, and both of them have between 21 and 22 home runs. Meanwhile, Bias, 293 batting average, 28 home runs, 79 RBI. Kyle Schwarber, even though he's only hitting a 235, still drawing walks, 26 home runs for him. Victor Carantini, who's filling in for the injured Wilson Contreras, is hitting a 271, and Jason Hayward hitting that same batting average as well. Nick Castellanos has been doing a tremendous job ever since coming over to the Cubs for the year between the Detroit Tigers and the Cubs. He's hitting a 285, so he certainly has been a nice addition along with Ian Happ, who recently came off the injured list. I do think that the Chicago Cubs certainly are going to be able to get a decent start in this spot, but I do think that Sonny Gray is going to be able to deliver a little bit better than Kyle Hendricks because I do still have my trepidations with Kyle Hendricks on the road, and I think that Sonny Gray is going to be able to hold down a Chicago Cubs team that, let's face it, on the road so far this year, they entered into Friday with a 22-33 and road record. So for that reason, looking at the Cincinnati Reds here and the total under, already locked in the total under. I do like the fact that the total Design. I'm seeing it dipping right now. And with the Reds and Wayne Seymour, I think that a little bit of public money is going to be coming in on the Chicago Cubs, and that'll allow me to get a little bit of a better price. 957, 958 on the betting rotation. The New York Mets play also the Washington Nationals. Patrick Corbin goes for the Nets. Meanwhile, Noah Thor Syndergaard for the Mets. Your total on this game is 8. Under Zeus of minus 120, the over is even. If you're looking at the Nationals, going to be getting even money. Meanwhile, the Mets, you're going to be laying minus 110. And with Noah Syndergaard, he has looked very good recently, and Patrick Corbin coming off a rough life start against the Arizona Diamondbacks, but I will say, in the month of July, both these guys were absolutely sensational, and we've also noticed that both these bullpens, which all year long have not been very good at all, they've really emerged. The Washington Nationals had the worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues until the month of June began. Ever since then, they've been a little bit above league average. Meanwhile, for the New York Mets, they were absolutely dreadful from late June until early July. But ever since the All-Star break, top five bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. And you take a look at Noah Syndergaard. What he's been able to do ever since giving up four runs in five innings against the Philadelphia Phillies on July 6th has been absolutely amazing. He's wound up going over the course of his last five starts seven innings in each of them, and he has given up a grand total of seven runs in those five starts. So he certainly has been on his game. He's doing a good job of being able to limit the long ball, giving up a little bit under one home run per nine innings. Meanwhile, Patrick Corbin, he's giving up right around one home run per nine innings. So he certainly has not been taken deep as well. Nine and five record, 343 ERA. He had that bad start against the Arizona Diamondbacks, but in the month of July, he wound up making a total of six starts, gave up three earned runs or fewer in every one of them, and there was only one start in which he gave up exactly three earned runs, and you even date it back to the month of June. His last two starts in that month, he wound up going a combined 14 innings across those two starts, giving up two runs, but we know this. Both these 
seems to have a couple mashers. Jeff McNeil, the top lineup of the New York Mets, has been doing a terrific job of setting the table. On base percentage above 400. His batting average is a 340. And then you've got Pete Alonso. He has really been going deep all year long. 37 home runs, 260 average, 83 RBIs. And then you've also got Amid Rosario is getting on base with the 280 batting average. J.D. Davis is hitting above a 300. Wilson Ramos has got his batting average right around a 270. Todd Frazier has really been dipping. He and Joe Panic are in between a 240 and a 235. And Joe Panic recently acquired from the San Francisco Giants. That should give them a little bit of a shot in the arm. And Michael Caporto, 25 home runs to go with a 260 batting average. Meanwhile, for the Washington Nationals, the top of the lineup has been very good for the team. Adam Eaton, Trey Turner, and Juan Soto, all in between a 280 and a 287. In the case of Juan Soto and Anthony Rendon, both are on base percentages nearing 400. They've got a combined 45 home runs, and Anthony Rendon's hitting a 314. Do have a couple guys that you need to pick it up with the bat. Matt Adams, Brian Dozier, Victor Robles, all in between a 235 and a 245. And then you've got Jan Gomes, who's hitting right around a 215. But Kurt Suzuki at the catcher spot has been solid. 270 batting average for him. And then whenever you've got Howie Kendrick out there, he's been in and out of the lineup quite a bit. He's been doing a good job hitting above a 300. And Ryan Zimmerman, when he was given this team at bats, I think that he's injured once again. He has been solid as well. But I do think that this is a spot in which Washington Nationals are going to be able to get a little bit more out of Patrick Corbin than the Mets are out of Syndergaard. I do feel like there is some regression coming in for the New York Mets, and I starts. I think it starts with the series. So for that reason, going to be taking the Washington Nationals in this spot, and I'm going to be taking this total over. I do think that the Nationals are going to be able to get to Syndergaard, and I do think that the bullpen is going to start to relent a little bit. Currently, Wayne Seabot on both of these. I do think that a lot of people are going to try to ride the streaks, and I think that they're going to be betting on a lower scoring game. 959-960 on the betting rotation. The St. Louis Cardinals going to be playing also the Pittsburgh Pirates. Joe Musgrove goes for the Pirates. Adam Wainwright for the St. Louis Cardinals. Total on this game is 8.5 over as juice of minus 120. The unders even if you're looking at the Cardinals. Line minus 145. Meanwhile, the Pittsburgh Pirates, a plus 135 underdog. And the Pittsburgh Pirates going into Friday had been 4-21 and ever since the All-Star break. Now I will say, one of those wins were courtesy of Joe Musgrove. He's been doing a little bit of a solid job, but with Adam Wainwright, he surprisingly has been one of the best under pitchers out there in the big leagues. He's in the top five among qualifying pitchers with regards to the percent of his starts that go under, which is surprising because he's giving out right around four walks per nine innings, 1.2 home runs per nine innings. He hasn't been great, but he hasn't been awful. This is a guy that, other than just getting shelled against the Cincinnati Reds, giving up seven runs in three and a third innings, he's really been a guy that's giving up a whole lot of like three runs and everything like that. Ever since May 28th, he has given up more than four earned runs in just one start and given up exactly four runs in another start. All the other starts, he's given up three or fewer. Meanwhile, Joe Musgrove, this guy is a real mystery to figure out because he's only giving up right around one home run per nine innings, but you take a look at his last start against the Mets, just got completely shelled. He wound up giving up eight runs in three and a third innings. Start before that against Reds, he gives up two runs in six innings. Start before that against the St. Louis Cardinals, five runs of five innings. Start before that against Philadelphia Phillies, zero runs in six innings. You just can't get a read on this guy. I will say the last time he started in the city of St. Louis, gave up four runs, did not make it past the fifth inning. And we do know this with the Pittsburgh Pirates. They are really lacking with regards to power. They do have quite a few guys that are doing a great job of getting on base. You've still got Brian Reynolds hitting above a 330. Jose Uzuna, Kevin Newman, 
Both guys are in above a 300. You have seen Sterling Marte and Josh Bell see a dip in their average. These two guys, along with Colin Moran, Jacob Stallings, and Adam Frazier, are only between a 265 and a 285. And in the case of Marte and Josh Bell, they've got a combined 47 home runs, but neither of these guys have really been chilling out power ever since the All-Star break. Melky Cabrera's been in and out of the lineup as well. That has hurt this team. And then with the St. Louis Cardinals, they've been very inconsistent with their average as well, but they do have quite a few guys hitting between a 241 and a 255. Tyler Edmond, Dexter Feller, Paul Goldschmidt, Paul DeYoung, Marcel Ozuna, their top five hitters, all in that neighborhood. I will say Paul Goldschmidt was on a nice tear a few weeks ago. He had seven home runs over the course of nine games, and he's got 25 for the year. Meanwhile, Marcel Ozuna and Paul DeYoung, a combined 40 between the two of them, so they've been doing a solid job there. But Matt Carpenter still hitting only a 220. Colton Wong has been picking things up in himself. He's hitting a 270. But Matt Wieters, who's filling in for the injured Yadier Molina, only a 234. But I will say this for the St. Louis Cardinals. Top five bullpen in the big leagues with regards to ERA. They've been doing a very good job in that regard. And the Pittsburgh Pirates, well, they're just not putting up runs on the board in general. So for that reason, going to be looking at the St. Louis Cardinals on the money line. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. Likely going to bypass the run line because I'm right now seeing that right around plus 125. If that elevates a little bit, I might take a look at it. So I'm in wait and see mode on the side. And with regards to this total, this actually opened up at 9. If I can get it back at 9, I'm certainly going to take it. If not, I'm going to lock in the under 8.5 at favorable juice, but going to be playing that one way or another. 961-962 on the bank rotation. The San Diego Padres play host to the Colorado Rockies. Chichi Gonzalez goes for the Colorado Rockies. Chris Paddock for the Padres. Your total on this game is 8.5 over and under both at minus 110. The Padres laying anywhere between minus 185 and minus 190. Meanwhile, the plus price on the Colorado Rockies is plus 170. I will say, despite the fact that Chichi Gonzalez doesn't necessarily sound like the Mona Lisa Vito of starting pitching, he has not been too bad. Meanwhile, Chris Paddock, ever since he got recalled from AAA, he's had one start in which he's given up more than three earned runs, so he's been very solid there. Now, I will say with Chris Paddock, he is also giving up a little bit over 1.5 home runs per nine innings. That's been a little bit of a bugaboo for him, but the Colorado Rockies, the top-scoring team with regards to runs per game at home this year, Bottom 10 in the big leagues with regards to scoring runs on the road. And I will hit on Chichi Gonzalez once again because I brought him up a little bit earlier. Wound up making two starts in the month of July. Wound up going 10 and two-thirds innings. He gave up five runs, all of which were earned. That was not necessarily great, but at the same time, he does a decent job of keeping things in front of him. But I will say the Colorado Rockies over the last 30 days have had the worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. Not necessarily a redeeming quality. And it's not necessarily a redeeming quality that Charlie Blackman does not hit as well on the road as he does at home. But he was able to get a home run earlier in the series as he, Trevor Story, and Nolan Arenado of between 24 and 26 home runs so far this year. Charlie Blackman hitting a 325, Nolan Arenado a 306, David Dahl hitting right around a 300, but he's been missing in action the last couple days. But you do have Daniel Murphy. He's hitting a 295. You also have to like the fact that Ryan McMahon, Remiel Tapia, Ian Desmond are all guys hitting between a 263 and a 275. Tony Walters hitting a 280 himself. But then you take a look at the San Diego Padres. Manny Machado's really picked it up ever since a slow start to the year. He's hitting a 270, 26 home runs. Hunter Renfro, despite his 233 batting average, really been slugging out the power. 30 home runs for him. He's getting a home run every 11 and a half at bats. And Francisco Mejia has elevated his average to a 265. He and Greg Garcia have similar batting averages, though Garcia has been out of the fold a little bit. Manuel Margot is hitting a 250, and then you've got Fernando Tatis Jr. doing a great job of setting the table at the top of the lineup. 325 average, 22 home runs. He's got quite a few stolen bases. You do need to get a little bit more out of some of these guys, though. Luis Odeas, 
Will Myers, Austin Hedges, Ian Kinsler, all guys hitting a 227 or lower. Josh Naylor, whenever he's out there in the lineup, not hitting a whole lot better. And I will say for the Padres, they've also got a bullpen ERA that is below the league average as well. But I do think that the Padres are going to be able to get enough in this spot. And I do think that Chris Paddock going to be able to turn a nice start. And it's going to allow the Padres to be able to get a multi-run win. Because I do think that the Colorado Rockies, who have been having a problem with this recently, are just going to leave a bunch of men on base once again. So for that reason, looking at the Padres on the run line in this total under with the Padres run line currently seeing that at plus 110 considering they're laying anywhere between minus 185 and minus 190 it sounds a little bit weird but at the same time the Padres have been one of the worst teams at being able to win games by two plus runs so far this year so it makes sense probably going to wind up taking it and then with regards to this under going to try to see if a little bit of steam comes in on the over just because People are probably going to look at the Colorado Rockies' overall numbers and not their numbers on the road, and that could allow me to save a couple cents there. 963-964 on the banging rotation. The LA Dodgers play OC Arizona Diamondbacks. Alex Young goes for the D-backs. Kenta Maeda for the Dodgers. Your total on this game is 8.5. The over and under, both at minus 110. Meanwhile, with the Dodgers, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 180 and minus 190. Your plus price on the D-backs, anywhere between plus 165 and plus 170. And this is a spot where I'm going to be looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks going into Friday's action, the Arizona Diamondbacks on the run line, which they're getting plus one and a half every time they play the Dodgers on the road, had been 11-4 and four with regards to the run line, and they had gotten five outright wins, and I do think that this is a spot where they can get an outright win, because I do think that Alex Young is a better starter than Kenta Maeda. You take a look at what Alex Young has done this year, 4-1 record, 260 ERA in his starts in the month of July. He wound up giving up more than two earned runs in just one of them. He's been doing a great job with regards to being able to keep the game out in front of him. I do recognize that the Arizona Diamondbacks don't necessarily have a trustworthy bullpen. And I will say, with guys like Casey Sadler and company coming in for the Dodgers, their bullpen is a little bit better, but Kenta Maeda has been a little bit of a hot mess recently. You take a look at his last four starts in which he's went at least two innings. He has given up three earned runs or more in all of them. And heck, you even take a look at his start before that. He gave up three earned runs as well. This is a guy that's lending himself to some hard contact, giving up right around 1.5 to 1.6 home runs per nine innings. Does a good job of being able to get strikeouts, but with the Arizona Diamondbacks, you've also got a team that is one of the best in the big leagues with regards to being able to hit home runs on the road. And you really have to highlight Eduardo Escobar and Cattell Marte in that regard with Cattell Marte. This is a guy hitting at 319, 24 home runs for him. Eduardo Escobar, 25 dingers, 280 batting average. Then you got a lot of guys that are hitting between a 265 and a 255. Gerard Dyson, Tim LaCastro, Christian Walker, Nick Ahmad, Carson Kelly, all in that regard. Nick Ahmad, one of the best fielders out there in the big leagues, by the way, that I don't think that gets enough credit. Christian Walker has 20 home runs this year, and Gerard Dyson, 24 stolen bases. Tim LaCastro, also very good out there in the field. So the Arizona Diamondbacks do a good job of being able to defend and being able to catch fly balls that other teams may not, which is why the Arizona Diamondbacks are actually right around 500 with their record. And then you also have David Peralta back in the fold, 285 batting average for him. You also have Alex Avila and Jake Lamb, two guys are in below at 235, but they both actually have very good on-base percentages. Meanwhile, with the LA Dodgers, you do have A.J. Pollock, who's done a very good job of hitting lefties all year long. Righties, not so much, but you do also have Justin Turner, Christopher Nagarin, and Will Smith all getting jiggy with it with a batting average between a 290 and a 305. But you've got to highlight them, man. Cody Bellinger, 321 batting average, 37 home runs, 88 RBI going into Friday. Max Muncy, 27 home runs. He's hitting right around a 265 along with Corey Seager. Tyler White has been picked up. He's not doing much for the year, right around a 215 batting average, but you got to think that he's going to be able to give 
the Dodgers a little bit of something. And then this is a spot in which I do think that we're going to see a little bit of a lower scoring game. But I do think that in the end, it's going to be the Arizona Diamondbacks being able to pull this one out. The Dodgers have been struggling a little bit with their bats. We know that the Dodgers have been very good at home, winning over 75% of their games at home for the year. But I think that this is a spot where the Do- where the Diamondbacks get them just because I think that Young delivers a better start than Maeda. So for that reason, looking at the plus price of the Diamondbacks and looking at this total under right now in wait and see mode with regards to the Diamondbacks because, well, I'm certain that there's going to be a lot of money funneling in on the Dodgers and would like to be able to get a little bit of better juice on this under as well. 965-966 on the betting rotation. It is the New York Yankees hitting the road faceoff against the Toronto Blue Jays. Jacob Wagaspak goes for the Blue Jays. Meanwhile, Masahiro Tanaka goes for the New York Yankees. Your total on this game is 11. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Yankees, laying anywhere between minus 160 and minus 165. Plus price on the Toronto Blue Jays, anywhere between plus 150 and plus 152. We know that the Yankees have been catching so many overs on the road. This is a team that, going into Friday, had cashed nearly 76% of their totals to the over when they hit the road. But I will say, Jacob Wagaspak has been cashing you a bunch of plus money tickets so far this year. I believe that he's cashed twice against the Boston Red Sox so far this year. He's been doing a solid job with a 3-1 record for ERA. He's coming off a nice start in which he was able to get a win as an underdog against the Tampa Bay Rays, giving up no runs over the course of six innings. And this is a guy that's given up more than three earned runs just once so far this year as well. So he has been very solid. Meanwhile, Masahiro Tanaka, he has been getting Tanaka around recently. 7-6 record, 493 ERA. He's giving up a little bit under 1.9 home runs per nine innings. And you just take a look at what's happened to him recently. In his last four starts, he has given up five earned runs or more in three of them, including 12 earned runs while recording 10 outs against the Boston Red Sox. Needless to say, that is not ideal. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, this is a team with one of the bottom three worst batting averages at home so far this year, but they do a great job of being able to pump out the home runs as you've got Justin Smoke and Lourdes Gurriel, both with 19 home runs. They've been doing a good job there. You do have Randall Gritchick. He's got a double-digit amount of home runs. He's hitting a 240 as well. And then you've got Freddie Galvis. He's got 19 home runs of his own. He's hitting a 271. Vlad Guerrero Jr. has elevated his batting average to more in the realm of a 272, 275. Got a couple guys that they do need to pick it up, though. Kevon Biggio, Brandon Drury, Derek Fisher, and just the entire catcher spot in general. All guys are hitting a 230 or lower. Teoscar Hernandez hitting a 220 as well, but Teoscar Hernandez, 15-plus home runs for him. Roddy Telez has been out of the lineup recently, but Bo Bichette has been doing terrific. He's hitting right around a 400 in limited action, so yeah, like what you're seeing there. And with the New York Yankees, you gotta think that at some point the injuries are gonna catch up to him. You can't think that Gio Urshela and Cameron Maven are both gonna be able to hit above a 320 all year long. DJ LeMay who has been absolutely sensational. This is a gentleman with a 340 batting average. He has went deep 18 times, 79 RBI. Then you do have D.D. Gregorius and Aaron Judge in the lineup. Both these guys along with Austin Romine. Hitting between a 270 and a 275, but then you need to get a little bit more production out of guys like Mike Ford and Brevik Valera. Both these guys are hitting below a 225, so there's certainly a little bit to be desired there. Mike Talkman for some reason, is hitting 300. It just feels like with the Yankees, their offense is a little bit made on sand. I think that at some point it's going to dry up, and I think that at some point 
it's going to be a spot where it really bites them in the butt. And I do think that this could be one of these spots. I do think that the Blue Jays are going to be able to to knock around Masahiro. And I think that Wagas back gives a good start. And I do think that the overs are going to start to dry up for the Yankees on the road. So for that reason, looking at the plus price with the Blue Jays and the total under. Currently, Wayne Seabot on both of these because I do think that public money is going to be coming in on the over. And I certainly don't think that the public is going to be coming in on the Toronto Blue Jays. 967-968 on the bank rotation. The Boston Red Sox play OCLA Angels. And going for the Angels in this one, going to be Andrew Heaney. Meanwhile, Rick Porcello on the bump for the Boston Red Sox. Trolling this game is 11.5 over and under both at minus 110 if you're looking at the Red Sox. Laying anywhere between minus 130 and minus 137, your plus price with the Angels anywhere between plus 125 and plus 127. And we do know that Rick Porcello, not quite as great as his record would indicate. Andrew Heaney, meanwhile, he's been doing a great job of getting swings and misses, but the LA Angels going into their game on Friday against the Boston Red Sox had lost 10 out of their last 12 games. And this is a team that's been very rudderless. Both these teams have certainly not been doing a great job with their bullpen. But for the LA Angels, Andrew Heaney, is a guy that certainly does have electric stuff as you take a look at his strikeouts per nine innings right around 11, but this is also his first start since mid-July as he made only two starts in July. Actually went nine and a third innings giving up a total of four runs against the Houston Astros in both starts, so obviously not a bad showing there, but this is a guy that is rusty. Meanwhile, with Rick Porcello, 5.54 ERA, and yet he's got a 10 and 8 record. I don't know how, and I don't know why. This is a guy that's giving up just under two home runs per nine innings. I will say his last start was very good, giving up one run to the Kansas City Royals over the course of six innings. But you take a look at his previous seven starts. He had given up at least three earned runs in every one of them. I do think that that's going to regress a little bit because with the LA Angels, you do have a good lineup that's able to mash, and it's all headlined by that man, Mike Trout. Going into Friday, 38 home runs, over 80 RBI for him. He's hitting just below a 300. And then you've got Shoy Otani, Daniel Fletcher, and Brian Goodwin hitting between a 280 and a 290. Now, I will say there are a couple guys that need to pick it up with the bat. Willie Tovar, Luis Rangifo, Cole Calhoun, and Justin Upton. All guys are hitting a 237 or lower. And then you do also have Max Stassi, who's out at the catcher spot. Between the Astros and the Angels, he's hitting right around buck 50. But I will say for Albert Pools and Cole Calhoun, both these guys are being able to shell out some power pools. His 18th home run of the year yesterday. And then Cole Calhoun has won deep 25 times so far this year. But then you take a look at the Boston Red Sox. You certainly have a prolific lineup. J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, and Rafael Devers. All guys hitting between a 305 and a 315. In the case of Martinez, he's went deep 25 times so far this year. Xander Bogarts, 25 as well. And Rafael Devers, 23. Mookie Betts and Andrew Benatini, both hitting between a 280 and a 285. Christian Vasquez is hitting a 281. Have a couple guys that you need to pick it up with the bat. Sandy Leon, Jackie Bradley Jr., Mitch Moreland. All guys hitting below a 225, but getting Mitch Moreland back just in and of itself is huge. Rock Holt hitting above a 300 himself. And I do think that this this is a Boston Red Sox team that is going to be able to get to Andrew Heaney, a guy that is just coming off the injured list. Both these bullpens have been very brutal. Rick Purcell, I certainly think, is going to give up his runs, but at the same time, I just don't know how long Andrew Heaney is going to be for this game. I do think that Rick Purcell, even though he's going to give up quite a few runs, going to be able to give a little bit more length. So for that reason, going to be looking at the Red Sox on the run line and the total over. With the over, would like to see if I'm able to get a little bit less juice on this one because I think that the high total might scare off some people. Meanwhile, with the Red Sox run line, seeing that at plus 125, would like to see if I'm able to get a little bit of better juice there. 969, 970 on the bank rotation. The Detroit Tigers play the Kansas City Royals. Spencer Turnbull goes for the Detroit Tigers. Meanwhile, Mike Montgomery for the Royals. Your total on this game is 10. 
and nine and a half as well. I'm seeing a little bit of both. With the nine and a half, the over is juice of minus 120, the under is even. And with the tens, the under is minus 115, the over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Detroit Tigers, cross the board, that is minus 115. And the plus price on the Kansas City Royals is plus 105. And this is a spot where I'm going to be taking a look at the Detroit Tigers. I know that they've been absolutely brutal at, at home. This is a team that going into their game against the Kansas City Royals on Friday had been 6-32 and 32 in their last 38 home games, but Spencer Turnbull, I know that he's been injured. He has been, for the year, though, pretty solid. This is a man with only a 3-9 record, but a 372 ERA in 101 and two-thirds innings. He's given up nine home runs. That's right around .8 home runs per nine innings. Not necessarily a big swing and miss guy, and he just hasn't been providing length. He has not made it past the sixth inning in a start ever since May 26th, but I will say, he also has not given up four earned runs or more in a start since then, and I believe that's the only start this year in which he's given up four or more runs. Meanwhile, with Mike Montgomery, this is a man that's giving up one home run every four innings, 6-6-1 ERA, 0-3 record. He, too, not giving a whole lot of length right now as he has not went past the fifth inning in any of his starts so far this year, and he has been blasted in just about all of them. With the Detroit Tigers, you've got a team that is not providing a whole lot of offense, so I will say in recent days, it has been a little bit better. You do have Miguel Cabrera and Harold Castro, both guys with a pretty solid batting average. They're both hitting right around a 285. Brandon Dixon has been solved for the team as well. 262 batting average. He's got 14 home runs to lead the team. Victor Reyes, Nico Goodrum, a pair of guys are in between a 244 and a 250. And Jody Mercer are now hitting a 245 as well, but then you got the famine bets. Darwell Lugo, Travis Demerick, Gordon Beckham, Grayson Griner, Jake Rogers. The list goes on and on and on of guys that are hitting a 225 or lower. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals, they've got a bunch of guys that are hitting a 225 or lower. Billy Hamilton, Ryan O'Hearn, Bubba Starlin, Nicky Lopez, Cam Gallagher, who's actually now hitting a 235, so I've got to give him credit. He's now hitting a 235, but Chris Owings is not. Lucas Duda. They've got a lot of guys that are struggling, but Hunter Dozier now has 20 home runs. He's hitting a 285. Chester Cuthbert, more in the realm of a 290. Alex Gordon is hitting a 270. He's done a good job of getting on base. Went Merrifield, hitting above a 300 himself. And then you've got to like the fact that Jorge Soler has done a great job. 31 home runs for him. 250 batting average. And I do think that there is a little bit more to be had with the Detroit Tigers bullpen than that of the Kansas City Royals. The Royals wound up having to start Jorge Lopez in a game a few days ago, and he did not make it past the second inning. So this is a Kansas City Royals bullpen that, for one, is just not very good in general, and two, doesn't give great length in general. I do think that Turnbull, even though he hasn't really been going past the sixth inning recently, I think he's going to be able to give some length in this one. So for that reason, going to be going with the Detroit Tigers in the spot, and I'm going to be going with this total under just because both these teams don't have a lot of offense going. would like to see if I'm able to get this total unjuiced, so I'm in wait see mode there. Meanwhile, I'm seeing a little bit of money coming in on the Kansas City Royals, so also waiting on that. 971-972 on the main rotation. The Houston Astros hit the road face off against the Baltimore Orioles. Aaron Brooks, no, not the former NFL quarterback, goes for the Baltimore Orioles. Aron Sanchez for the Houston Astros. Your total on this game is 11. The under is just a minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the Astros, laying anywhere between minus 250 and minus 260, plus price on the Baltimore Orioles, plus 220 across the board. And this is a spot where I would probably rather have Aaron Brooks, the quarterback, rather than Aaron Brooks, the Baltimore Orioles starter. I will say for Aaron Brooks in the Two starts in which he went fewer than three innings, and the Baltimore Orioles took the wholesale approach. They were very good in those. Ever since they've lengthened out Aaron Brooks, well, he hasn't necessarily been good in his last... 
Four starts, he's wound up giving up three earned runs or more in three of them, and he has not went past the fifth inning in any of them, and we've seen the Baltimore Orioles bullpen work. It is not good. Meanwhile, Ron Sanchez, this is a man that at one point in the year lost 11 straight decisions, but he was a part of that combined no-hitter with the Houston Astros. He was really having a problem with his command because you take a look for the year, he's averaging a little bit over 4.6 walks per nine innings, but he's done a good job of being able to limit the long ball, and I think that just being in a new city has him motivated, and he also doesn't have to feel like he has to be perfect because, let's face it, with the Houston Astros, they back him up with a lineup that is absolutely lethal. You've got Jose Altuve hitting right around a 300. He's been doing a good job with his power. Alex Pregman, 27 home runs, 275 batting average there. George Springer, 24 dingers. He's hitting a 292. Jordan Alvarez getting a home run every 12 or so at bats, and he's hitting above a 350. It's absolutely insane. Carlos Correa, Yuri Gurriel, two guys hitting between a 290 and a 300 themselves. And then you've got Michael Brantley hitting a 322. Josh Reddick at 275. The list of guys that are able to hit just is endless with this team. Meanwhile, for the Baltimore Orioles, you do have a couple guys that are shelling out some power. Trey Boom Boom Mancini, 26 home runs for himself. He's hitting just below a 280. Renato Nunes has went deep 25 times, 243 batting average. Hanser Alberto and Anthony Santander are both hitting a 295 or greater. Jonathan Villar and Pedro Severino hitting between a 265 and a 275. But then you got the guys that really need to pick it up. Stevie Wilkerson, Jace Peters, Richie Martin. And Chris Davis are all guys hitting a 230 or lower. And who knows if we're ever going to see Chris Davis again after he had that kerfuffle with his manager a few days ago. So needless to say, he had to hide after that one. Hopefully you guys like that joke. And this is a spot where I do have a lot of faith in the Houston Astros bullpen as well. It's one of the best out there in the big leagues. And they're facing off against a... Baltimore Orioles team that, let's face it, just absolutely pathetic at this point. So for that reason, going to be looking at the Houston Astros on the run line and the total under. Already locked in the total under. It began at 11. I'm seeing it tick down with regards to the juice, so I just jumped on it. Meanwhile, the Astros run line, that is currently minus 170. Certainly looking to see if I'm able to lay a little bit less juice, if at all possible, there. 973, 974 on the bank rotation. The Minnesota Twins are going to be playing also Cleveland Indians. Adam Blutko goes for the Indians. Jake Odorizzi for the Minnesota Twins. Your total on this game is 10. The over is anywhere between. The over is minus 120. The under is even. If you're looking at the Cleveland Indians, you are going to be getting a plus price here. That is plus 130 to plus 135. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the Minnesota Twins, minus 145 across the board. And Jake Odorizzi had a very good start to the year. That is up until mid-June. Ever since mid-June and over 50% of his starts, he's been giving up four-plus earned runs per start. It's not necessarily one well for him. In his last start, he wound up only giving up one earned run. So he has certainly had some flashes, but I actually do like what I'm seeing out of Adam Pluko recently. This is a man with a 4-2 record, 455 ERA. Does not have great swing and miss stuff, but in his last two start in his last three starts, he's been pretty good. He's given up a combined five runs over those three starts. He's won at least five innings in all of them, and he's been doing a good job of just being able to keep the game out in front of him. His big problem early was the deep ball. He is still giving up right around two-plus home runs per nine innings, but then you take a look at Jake Odorizzi. This is a guy that, even though he's not giving up a lot of home runs, he is getting hit for a lot of runs. We saw that against the New York Yankees a few weeks ago, giving up nine runs in that start, and the Cleveland Indians back up Adam Pluko with the best bullpen with regards to ERA out there in the big leagues. The Minnesota Twins, ever since the All-Star break, they've got a bottom five bullpen with regards to ERA out there in the big leagues, and for the Cleveland Indians, this is a totally revamped lineup. You've got Francisco Lindor at the top of it, hitting a 300 with 20 home runs, 18 stolen bases. He's been terrific there, and then you've got Yasiel Puig and Jose Ramirez, two of the better base sealers out there in the big leagues. They're in between a 248 and a 255. Ramirez all of a sudden is 
having 16 home runs, Roberto Perez 19, Yasiel Puig 22, and then you got Carlos Santana. He and Oscar Mercado both hitting in the realm of a 280, and Carlos Santana 24 home runs for him. Femio Reyes has been a nice addition. 27 home runs, 240 average for him. Jason Kipnis hitting above a 260 all of a sudden. You've even got Craig Allen back in the fold. He's been in and out of the lineup all year long. He's hitting a 235, but you feel like that's going to tick up, and Jordan Luplo has been doing a solid job as well. Meanwhile, the Minnesota Twins, you had three guys in the starting lineup yesterday that had 20-plus home runs in Miguel Sano, Eddie Rosario, and Max Kepler. And in the case of Sano, don't you know, he's hitting about one home run every 11 and a half at-bats. Luis Reyes won the top on-base percentages out there in the big leagues to go with a 353 batting average. You've got C.J. Crone back in the fold now as well. That should help. Guys like Jason Castro, Byron Bucks, and company in between a 250 and a 260. And then Max Kepler, 31 home runs, 265 batting average. Nelson Cruz got the day off yesterday, but he's, but he's got over 30 home runs. He's hitting nearly a 300. And Mitch Carver, whenever you need him, he's got right around 20 home runs, hitting nearly a 300 as well. So you certainly do have the firepower. And I do think that both these pitchers are going to be giving up the runs, but I do think that the Indians are going to be able to put out the fire. I do think that the bullpen is going to be able to come in and out, but I do think that Pluko is going to be able to keep this game out in front of him. So for that reason, looking at the plus price of the Indians and the total over, certainly would like to be able to get this total unjuice. I'd be willing to take a 10.5 with no juice rather than over 10 at minus 120, so I'm in wait and see mode there. And right now, I'm seeing this line being a little bit stagnant. Money came in very, very early on the Minnesota Twins, trying to see if I'm able to maximize that plus price. 975, 976 on the ring rotation. The Chicago White Sox play off the Oakland A's. Tanner Roar goes for the A's. Meanwhile, Ronaldo Lopez goes for the White Sox. Your total on this game is 10. Unders anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. The overs anywhere between plus 105 and even. If you're looking at the White Sox, you're going to be getting a plus price here between plus 150 and plus 152. Meanwhile, the Oakland A's are laying anywhere between minus 160 and minus 165. Tanner Roark, very much a pitch-to-contact guy. And ever since a good first half of the season... He certainly has been getting lit up a little bit, so I do think that that's a little bit of an issue. Whenever he's at home at Oakland, I do think that he's going to be very formidable, but even though the White Sox have not been generating a lot of offense recently, Guaranteed Life Stadium is actually a little bit more of a hitter's ballpark, and I will say that Rourke in his first start with the A's looked very good. He wound up going five innings, only giving up one run, but that one run was a home run, I will say, for Mr. Lopez. He's given up right around two home runs per nine innings himself, but he has been doing a better job of pitching recently. You take a look at what he's done ever since giving up six runs on July 4th to the Detroit Tigers. He's given up three earned runs or fewer in his five starts since then, and he's delivering good length. I like what I'm seeing out of him. He's got some decent swing and miss stuff, and for the Oakland A's, they don't hit right-handers the same way that they do lefties. With the Oakland A's, they're in the top seven in the league with regards to batting average against lefties, against righty, against righties, bottom five in the league. So I do think that, that that is glaring. And with the Oakland A's, you just have a whole bunch of guys that are in between a 245 and a 255. Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Mark Canna, Chad Pinder, Stephen Piscotti. Dustin Garneau, all in that neighborhood. Jerickson Profar is only hitting a 210. Chris Davis has just been a hot mess all year long. He's hitting a 230. His power has not necessarily been there. But I will say for Matt Chapman, 25 home runs for him. Matt Olson getting a home run every 12 or 13 or so at bats. He's got 22 of them for the year. He apparently likes Taylor Swift because that song 22 is one of my favorites. But one of my favorites as well at the top lineup is Marcus Simeon. 275 batting average for him. Meanwhile, with the Chicago White Sox, this team is certainly reeling on offense. This is a team that's averaging right around three 
3.5 runs per game ever since the All-Star break. They've got 97 total runs in their last 28 games. So that is certainly not going well. But you do have a bunch of guys that are doing a solid job of being able to get on base. You've got Lourdes Garcia, Ryan Goins, James McCann, and John Jay all in between a 288 and a 303. Tim Anderson is back in the fold. He doesn't walk a lot, but 326 is his batting average, so he's been doing a solid job there. Then you've got Eloy Jimenez and Ryan Cordell in the outfield, hitting between a 230 and a 235. And then you notice that Jose Abreu is hitting a 270 as well. He's done a solid job with his power, and really, he's been the only power source with Yoan Mankata out of the fold. 24 home runs, 83 RBI for him, but I do think that the White Sox are going to be able to get to Tanner Rourke, a guy that just doesn't strike out a lot of guys. I do think that Ronaldo Lopez continues to do a great job of pitching, and with the White Sox, they've got one of the best bullpen ERAs in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. With the Oakland A's, it's been below average since the All-Star break as well, so... For that reason, we're going to be looking at the White Sox and the under in this spot with the White Sox currently in wait and see mode there because I do think that the money is going to be coming in on the Oakland A's, but this total actually opened up at 10. It is now very, very heavily shaded to the under. I'm seeing some nine and a half offshore as well, so I locked that in as quickly as I could. Now we go to the final two games on the board, which are both off the board, 977-978 on the bank rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays hit the road to face off against the Seattle Mariners. Going for the Tampa Bay Rays is going to be good old Charlie Morton. As of right now, the Seattle Mariners have yet to settle on who will open the game. So for that reason, this game is presently off the board. With the Seattle Mariners, it looks like it is going to be Tommy Malone, and he is going to be the bulk guy in this spot. And for Tommy Malone, he got off to actually a pretty nice start to the year, but he has been getting shelled recently. He's giving up right around. He's giving up right around 1.75 home runs per nine innings. I will say his last two starts have not been bad. He wound up going five innings in each of them against the Astros and the Tigers, giving up two runs apiece. But you take a look at the previous four starts, he wound up giving up five earned runs or more in three of them. And in the other start, he only got seven outs against the LA Angels. So didn't do a lot there. And when I say starts with Tommy Malone, I mean, and I quote, bulk appearances. It's one of those things that it's confusing. Meanwhile, with Charlie Morton, what's not confusing is the fact that this man is getting strikeouts. 12 and four record, 277 ERA. He's done a great job of being able to limit the hard contact. He's given up four earned runs or more just three times ever since the beginning of April, so he's certainly been doing a great job there. He's giving up about .8 home runs per nine innings. He's given up a couple walks, right around three walks per nine innings, but he's also got 11 strikeouts per nine as well, 277 ERA. It has been highly effective. And what else has been highly effective? The fact that the Tampa Bay Rays have a lot of guys that are doing a tremendous job of hitting. You don't have that one guy that's going to light up the world and get like 40 home runs, but you do have Austin Meadows, who's hitting 291, 19 home runs for him. You've got Willie Thomas, Avisail Garcia, and Tommy Pham, a trio of guys with between 15 and 16 home runs. With Pham, he's hitting a 270, Avisail Garcia, a 280, and Willie Thomas, a 240. But then you've got Merck Brasseo and Eric Sogard, both hitting in the realm of a 300. Jesus Aguiar has come over from the Milwaukee Brewers. He's still hitting a 235 for the year, but ever since he joined the Tampa Bay Rays, he's been looking a little bit better. Kevin Kiermaier is hitting a 250, and Travis Arno. It's been a nice find. He's hitting a 260. He's getting a home run every 15 or so at bats. Meanwhile, with the Seattle Mariners, Daniel Vogelback is only a 225, but his on-base percentage is hovering more around a 340. He's got 26 home runs. Domingo Santana won the highest strikeout rates out there in the big leagues, and I think he has just one home run ever since the All-Star break. He's got 21 for the year, but he's a man that certainly cooled down. A man that's not cooling down with regards to stolen bases is Malik Smith, though. He leads the league in that regard with 31 of them. Only a 232 batting average to boot, though. You've got Thomas Murphy at the catcher spot, along with Omar Devaris. Both these guys hitting above a 270, and they combine for the third most home runs at the catcher spot of any Duo out there in the big leagues. Austin Nola has been a nice addition for this team. He's hitting a 300, but these additions have not been nice for this team. 
Ryan Court, Dylan Moore, Kyle Seeger, Mac Williamson, all guys hitting a 225 or lower. You're no longer with Tim Beckham because the guy tested positive for a substance that was banned in like the 1980s. So good on him. And this is a spot where I certainly think it's going to be good on you to bet the Tampa Bay Rays on the run line. If you're seeing a total of right around nine, I probably will take it under because I do think that Charlie Morton going to be able to do a great job of holding the Mariners at bay. The Mariners not doing a great job with their batting average or relying on a lot of power. And Charlie Morton just doesn't give up the long ball. So if we are seeing a total of nine or greater going to be taking it under, and I'm certainly going to be looking at the Rays on the run line in some form or capacity. Check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSCORE1 for set plays there in case if something happens, though. And then we wrap things up with 979-980 on the betting rotation. It is the Texas Rangers, and they are on the road facing off against the Milwaukee Brewers in the lone interleague game, as it is going to be Adrian Hauser going for the Brewers, and Pedro Piano going for the Texas Rangers. This game is presently off the board. I've said this quite a few times about Adrian Hauser. He is terrific as a reliever. As a starter, certainly has not been getting the job done. You take a look at his last start against the Cubs. He winds up giving up four runs in five innings. I will say the start before that against the Oakland A's actually looked good. He wound up giving up one run in five innings, but the previous three starts of that in the month of July, he gave up three earned runs or more in all three of them. He wound up going past the fifth inning in just one of those starts as well, so things have not necessarily been going well from there. Meanwhile, Mr. Payano, he's done a very good job of being able to limit the long ball. This is not a guy that's going to give you a whole bunch of length, but in 15 and two-thirds innings, he's only given up one home run, 345 ERA, and his last start against the Tigers didn't deliver great legs. Four and two-thirds innings, but he only gave up two runs, and this is a guy that he does a good job of being able to keep the game out in front of him. Doesn't have great swing and miss stuff, but doesn't have bad swing and miss stuff as well. And with the Texas Rangers, they certainly do have a little bit of a power outage in the lineup with no longer having Joey Gallo, but you still do have Rudan Odor who's hitting for 20 home runs. His 204 batting average needs some work, as he, Jeff Mathis, Ronald Guzman, Tim Dorowitz, all guys are hitting a 220 or lower. This team no longer has a Zerubal Cabrera, who was a hot mess for this team, but what they do have is Noah Mazzara and Delano Shields Jr. Both these guys hitting between a 255 and a 265. Danny Satan has been absolutely amazing. He's hitting a 315 with 17 home runs. Elvis Andrus and Willie Calhoun are both hitting between a 284 and a 294. You've got Hunter Pence back in the fold as well. He's hitting nearly a 290 and Logan Forsyth nearly a 250 in his own right. Meanwhile, with the Milwaukee Brewers, this is a team that they've got quite a few guys are hitting in that realm of a 250. Lorenzo Kane, Yasmani Grandal, Ben Gamble, all hitting right in that neighborhood. Mike Boussakis, 265 batting average, 27 home runs for him. Ryan Braun is hitting more of a 275. Eric Thames, a little bit below a 250. And then you've got Hernan Perez back in the fold. He should be able to provide a little bit of something. Trent Grisham, ever since he got called up to the big leagues, is hitting a 300. And then you have to say, Kesson Hippipire, as he's hitting a 307. Hira is. You had to also take note that Christian Yelich was out of the fold yesterday. So plays on this game is going to be affected a little bit based on Christian Yelich because that man is a bad, bad man. You take a look at what he's done this year. 336 batting average, 39 home runs, 84 RBI. We also do know this about the Texas Rangers. They're 23 and 34 with regards to their road record. Bottom three batting average in the big leagues with regards to being able to hit against right-handers. So that is something that comes into play. But Adrian Hauser just has not been good as a starter in general. If Christian Yelich is out of the lineup and you're getting a plus price with the Texas Rangers, we'll probably have to consider it. The Milwaukee Brewers seem to be doing a little bit of a better job in their bullpen. And I will say that Drew Pomerantz actually has been a little bit of a decent addition, but the Texas Rangers also getting some decent pitching themselves as all their games went under in that Cleveland Indian series. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSCORD1 for set plays there. And that's also where you can ask a question if you have it for this fine podcast. If you like hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. A big thanks to our man Dan 
Mike Zaborski of Fangraphs for joining me in the second segment. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.